0: first thing we always do with the podcast is I have to find out a little bit about how it is that you came into being a photographer so what were the first steps that you took into becoming a photographer
1: well I suppose the first it depends what you mean um, I first bought a camera that isn't you know a phone only about three three or four years ago um I've always been into being out and about uh, and snapping things, you know, with the old phone or, or, or even the old um, disposable camera when I was a lot younger. Um, but what led me to get into it, like, and start taking it more seriously, um, it was it's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a downer, really. I hope it's not too down for your podcast. Um, I was just a bit a um, bit lonely, a bit bored. Um, I've always liked going out and about. I've always been very outdoorsy. And I wanted something to give, to give it some purpose. Um, and I think um, taking the camera and sharing what I was enjoying, or maybe sharing what I was feeling, was the purpose that I needed when I was out and about, as it
0: were. And on your website, it says that you had a conversation with one of your friends uh, before you made your first big camera purchase. And then you kind of fell into landscape photography quite comfortably so what was it that pushed you towards landscape
1: ah yeah i spoke to my friend um he was he's a wedding photographer and um he quite likes portrait as well um but he i just spoke to him about advice you know cameras and uh i ended up with a, a Fuji film, which he's a big fan of anyway who cares about gear um but i um yeah what led me what led me into actual landscape um i think it's just i was already that person you know i've always been very out outdoorsy is that a phrase um i like being out i like peace solitude i love the the view the feeling you get from standing in a really beautiful place whether it's a woodland or you know the the traditional mountainscape or whatever um and all my life i've been kind of into the outdoors uh, i'm not very You know, I'm not like, you know, rock climbing type of guy or anything like that. I just like being out, you know, and out in nature. Uh, And it comes a lot... When I was younger, I used to go um, quite a lot of hiking expeditions with my friends, you know, in the Lake District when I was in my teens, when it was quiet, you know, before everyone was turning up everywhere with their tripods. Um, (laughs) And I just kind of fell in love with being, you know, in somewhere really beautiful. Um, And it gave me a lot of... Peace, you know, it always felt like if I was going away, like even if I was going on abroad, you know, on, some, on holiday or something that like the only places I wanted to go were places that had beautiful landscapes, you know, but that's, this is pre-photography. Um, and so this is kind of just like a natural progression of that is obviously it's, it's clear. That's what I was always going to end up doing with the camera.
0: Well, it sounds like you have a similar disposition to me in the sense that I've seen on your website, you mentioned having uh, restless legs. I have a bit of a restless yes. mind. I can never really settle down and just absorb nothing. I have to be doing something. I have to be keeping myself busy or I tend to go a little bit insane, which has been fun for the last few months. Is it, is it the case with <laughs> you that you kind of, it's about keeping your mind busy as much as your body?
1: I think that's absolutely right. Um, yeah, I'm not, in, I'm not a fitness fanatic or anything like that. I, I don't ask anyone I know. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, it is. I am my... I have to keep, I have to be occupied, you know, if it's, um, if I wake up on a Sunday morning and I'm not out by eight o'clock, I think something's wrong. And that's not just for photography. It just feels like in in life, I just have to be out or going somewhere or filling my days with something. Uh, And yeah, that's kind of what I mean by the itchy feet, restless legs, you know, I just kind of, I feel like I have to do something to feel like I am like exist. I know it sounds really existential, but um I think that's that's true.
0: I'm definitely there with you. It's something that like the uh the lockdown, the pandemic made a lot more difficult. Mm. It's something that um I think a lot of especially obviously wonderfully capped off by the government essentially shitting on people that work in creative fields. But I think mm. creative people especially have suffered um mentally tremendously over over a lockdown because they're not able to kind of exercise Uh, a lot of demons that they tend to do throughout their creative life um if we could just go back to something because one thing that is a definite product of uh lockdown is that i am definitely not in physical good condition i'm not i'm not physically um in good shape is landscape photography something that really relies on physical fitness in terms of you know strength and endurance
1: um i suppose so um i don't know really it depends what what you mean by landscape photography. I'm not very fit at all, but I've got stamina. So I'll, you know, I won't get up any particular, you know, peak any, any quickly, but I'll probably do it eventually. Um, but I mean, some people just like to wander in the woods, don't they? And and, and that type of photography. Or, um, I don't particularly, I'm not going up mountains very often at all uh, I don't I wouldn't class myself as I I mean, I'm on my own a lot as well which is another reason I don't particularly want to do that too much um get a bit <laughs> a bit frightened sometimes I don't sound silly but um but yeah I, I don't think you have to be super fit I think I think saying that would probably put a lot of people off where it's actually uh-huh. really good for you to to be out and about you know uh and I you know if it wasn't for landscape I probably wouldn't I wouldn't go much, you know, as far as I do these days. So,
0: Well, I imagine as well with, with, the, with the hiking and the traveling, even if you're just going for a wander in the woods, mm. you've got to be economical to some extent with the gear that you're bringing because you don't really want to be bringing, you know, stuff that's not going to carry its own weight in terms of what you're going to get from it. My last podcast was with a, a landscape photographer who's based out in Colorado. And he has large format cameras, all of the tripods yeah. that go with it. And I, I still can't get my head around the, 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 the mental and physical effort of carrying that much stuff, especially in a day and age when we are very conscious of how light cameras can be.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I, yeah, I did hear that episode. Um, I, um, I do have quite heavy gear, actually. My tripod's really heavy. It's really big. Um, I don't know. Don't know why I got such a big one, but there you go. Uh, my lenses are quite, pretty big, so it's quite a lot to carry. Uh, and actually, I have myself bought a about a year ago, and I bought a large format camera myself, which I'm still. I have no. I'm no good at it, so I've not. I've not shared any of the shots from it yet. I'm still learning, uh, but I took that uh, and my digital camera all in one bag, uh, and oh my. Yeah, it was like I was some sort of uh, some some sort of expedition with the army. You know, it was really uh that was that was a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah, there is. I, I've never really thought, oh, that's lightweight. I'll get that. I don't know why. I just never just take it. You know, if I think I'll need it.
0: I'm not someone that dances on gear too much with the podcast. It's not in in general no. actually. Even when I'm just talking to photographers you know, in my own personal time, it's not something I'm particularly caught up on. But I do think that landscape photography is a fascinating one, because if you're not involved with it, and I certainly am not, it's probably my weakest area with photography. You, th- you think that, okay, the, like, the stereotype would be, you just need a really wide angle lens, your camera and a tripod, and that's it. It's, it's all easy from there. But I'm assuming it's it's probably not that straightforward.
1: No, I mean, you say about the wide-angle lens, I mean, I I, I rarely shoot wide. Um, I, I do have uh, a very fond fondness for the telephoto end of landscape photography, actually. Um, but my lenses, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not obviously going to start talking about gear, but they don't have to be particularly fast in landscape, so they don't have to be massive, giant, you know, lenses. But... Um, yeah, I, I don't, I do take more because there's nothing worse than, you know, you get and you get to a nice uh, location and you don't have quite, maybe you don't have the reach, that you want to, right. to get really up close and you don't want to crop because, you know, with landscape, you, it's all about the, you want the quality of the image. It's really important because you want to do the landscape justice and, and, you know, cropping in 50% when you've taken a nice shot with a lovely camera and, and it's a beautiful day with beautiful light or whatever. Um, you don't want to lose that, and, and the opposite is true. Obviously, in the woodland, you know, you need to you need to have a bit of range. Um, so I, I do kind of take everything a bit like that, um, just for the fear of missing something.
0: One thing I really wanted to talk to you about, and I'm 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 not sure about how you go about doing this because I, the first image of yours I saw was was almost an abstract image um, of okay. some trees. And as someone that photographs people and weddings, and I do think we tend to be very very obvious with some of our compositions. Is photographing mm. abstract compositions something that you had to train yourself to do? Or is it something that you just naturally saw?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm. I hope this doesn't sound really arrogant, but I haven't really. I've just kind of. I see something, and I think, oh, really, that looks great, and I just kind of. I get the vision for it. I actually, what you just said about, you know, you feel like uh, the obvious shot from a wedding. I wouldn't have a clue what an obvious shot from a wedding is, <laughs> apart from a row of people smiling with confetti all over them. I can't think past that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I just—is it the one with the snow you're referring to? Is it that?
0: Yeah, I believe so. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I just, I mean. I see a detail that I really like. For example, the way those trees were silhouetted by the, where the snow wasn't. And in the center of the tree, there's the, there's a patch of snow that's stuck to the side of it from a drift. And it just, I just, that that really sharp contrast on the trees, I thought, I love that. And the, the image has to be about that. There's nothing else. The image needs, needs nothing else apart from to feature that that amazing um, one-off incident that doesn't come round. I mean, that's not going to happen again for you know, you know, twenty years. Yeah. It's never going to look like that. And it ha- the image has to be about that moment, you know, that fleeting moment. Um, and I don't want, you know, some people, and you, you do see this with other landscape services. Uh, um, they, they might want, oh well, let's get the whole scene in, you know. And I'm just not into that. I want to get in tight and make it about. You know, that is what I saw. That's what I liked about being there. And so the image is that uh, and nothing else. So to answer your original question, um, I don't find it difficult, which, um, I mean, finding those, those situations is rare, but once yeah. I f- if you find them, it's, I actually find it quite simple. Um, I'm not trying to show off.
0: No, 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 not at all. I think it's, it's something that I think people, um, I think everybody that gets into photography has an eye for something. And mm. one of the biggest tragedies is that quite a lot of people never find out what they actually have an eye for because they focus on other factors. They don't sort of um, give themselves a chance to develop in that sense. And mm. when I look at an image like that particular image or anything that isn't a vista from, lands- from a landscape photographer, anything that isn't just a big wide shot, like you said, a lot of landscape photographers will get there and they'll just take the wide shot. Um, mm. When I see anything like that, I think, I think to myself, did you go out with the intention of finding... That detail, or did you go out without that intention, but you just saw that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I think, I suppose that depends um, on where it is you're planning on going. I mean, some people, I mean, I do this, I just go out because I just want to go out, you know, as I'm in the mood to go out, you know, the weather forecast might not look particularly exciting or. Another location I'm going to. I've been there lots of times, maybe, um, and I'm going out with no expectations, which is sometimes the best way to go out. But of course, sometimes you go out and you're you full, fully aware of of the location you're going to or the conditions you're expecting, and you you, you sort of visual or pre-visualize uh, an image or or a, or a situation where you might catch a, a nice scene. Um, I suppose it depends like if, for example if you I don't know if you lived in the southwest USA you know and you think oh I really want to take some beautiful autumn images of some lovely trees in a really arid environment you'd probably pre-visualize maybe what that might look like but maybe you haven't you know and I, t- I suppose it totally depends really um, on your intent but um, yeah I don't like for example that tree shop to go back to that I had, I had no intention I had no idea that it was going to be there Um and that was a total surprise when I got there.
0: Well, see, the way the way I see it is if I'm going to do a portrait shoot, I know who my subject is. I know where they're mm. going to be. I go to them and I I point the camera at them and, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. But that's, that's the gist of it. Whereas with what you're doing, there's a hell of a lot of intangible stuff before that. You have to kind of be able to understand and read weather to at least some extent and you have to have your eyes open while you're traveling because otherwise you're going to bypass a load of things. Like I don't Mm. ever have to go out and search, you know, a a four square mile area to try and find a portrait subject, which Mm. is kind of essentially what a landscape photographer is doing, which is, which is why I guess it's so, it's so dissonant for me to get my head around how you go about planning these things. Are you, um, are you someone that comes back quite often having not got what you wanted?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot. I mean, I've, the amount of times I go out and my camera doesn't even come out of my bag. Um, <laughs> earlier really? on, when I was first... Yeah, yeah. When I was first starting out, I'd take a picture of anything. But now, I mean, I might go... I mean, I live in Yorkshire. I might pop into the Northern Peak District, which is about half an hour for me, and just get there and have a wander, enjoy being out. But I literally don't even take the camera out of the bag because I think, oh, well, there's just nothing catching me. But, you know, that's... You still learn something about the area, and that's just as valuable sometimes as actually taking the shot. You know, you're learning what is great and what maybe isn't great about the area, uh, and it's kind of like the scouting process is really important. Um, but yeah, I, I there are some times where I come back with, I mean. <laughs> If I I do take some shots sometimes I think no that might be okay and I get back and I think oh no, <laughs> but um, usually it's getting more more now that I don't actually take the shot. <laughs> it's a bit like um, do, do I even enjoy photography? But I really do. Um, it's just I'm getting a bit. I know what I, I know what excites me about the landscape, and now I didn't at first. I just everything excited me at first, but I've got like a feeling for it. What I like, you know, and how I like to express how I feel through the landscape and um, yeah. So I know the situations where my camera will come out of my bag and where it
0: won't. Is it something where, I mean, that's, I mean, that's really fascinating. You go out, you don't even take your camera out. It's not something of, I can't imagine going to a portrait shoot or a wedding and just kind of wandering (laughs) around and then just pissing off. home. That would be hilarious.
1: Yeah. Imagine turning to a wedding and say, Oh, I don't like this. I'll
0: leave my camera in my (laughs) bag. I'll come back on Wednesday. The weather's meant to be bad. Uh, Okay, so I've I've kind of, I've snookered myself a little bit with two questions I have that basically run the same line and I've got to pick one or the other here. I'm going to go with one (laughs) in general, and then I can get specific in general. Do you think that landscape photographers focus too much on getting uh, the correct weather? So going for that golden hour, looking for Mm. something that, you know, would make a good windows vista background, as opposed Mm. to potentially capturing something with some atmosphere
1: um do you know what uh, yes i do think that um not of everyone of course um but I, I suppose there are lots of different types of landscape photographer there are people who just like to shoot everything and that's you know that's fine that's what they enjoy there are people who take their style i suppose if i don't particularly like that word style but you know what i mean the people take their vision um very seriously um but yeah i, I think um some people do it can also almost be limiting, you know. If you get obsessed, I, mean, I go, I go through phases of being really obsessed with the forecast because um, I quite like softer images um, these days. Um, so I like it to be overcast um, or maybe even misty, you know, and and all that. Um, but um, then, but then, obviously, the problem is with the overcast. You often have zero interesting light, so the image is really flat. So you've got to kind of find this really nice. Conditions that are quite rare, you know. We've got nice light, and it's you've got a nice uh, cloudy sky. Um, but I think some people are um, either either over reliant on you know your golden hour, your, your beautiful you know blue hour sun, you know blush that you get after the sun's just set. And uh, yeah, I, I, I suppose it depends what you want to to find from the landscape. You know, um, what I like these days to find is more introspective. Um, than it is um, external. It used to be a lot the other way around. I mean, if you look at my earlier images, they're very, you know, so almost too colourful um, and it was just about being there, but now it's more about me being there. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it's kind of evolved that way, which is quite kind of strange, but.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, with, with your work, I certainly feel like, and being in the North of England, and I, I know we have to hate each other because of the North South divide <laughs> that, that is ruining England, but. Oh yeah in yeah, the north absolutely. of England, you you guys have some actual decent cold weather. Like your cold weather is actually interesting as opposed to just damp and, and turgid, which we get in the south. Um, but you seem to be someone that really thrives with cold climate. And not you didn't want to go too existential earlier, but if you don't mind, I'm going to. Okay. Is it is this is this like a, almost a reflection of kind of mood, what you're photographing?
1: Uh I would yeah, I think it really is. Um I if it's really nice beautiful sunset colors I'm not particularly interested in that anymore um because it doesn't it, it it's kind of feels separate to me it doesn't feel like what I'm feeling and I, I, I' you know a lot of people talk about the therapeutic nature of landscape photography and and that is kind of what I've fallen into you know and the moods of the landscape and how it makes me feel is is so much more important to me now than the sort of the intrinsic beauty of it which I know I still appreciate. I mean, who doesn't love a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise, but I'm not always that excited about photographing it. I'd rather just find something that matches how I'm feeling. And at the time, and that's only, you know, that's that I've discovered this side of photography only, only within the last year, really that I've started to feel like that about my photography and, uh, yeah, the the the, reflect, the reflection of how I'm feeling with it does come out. I think in my images. Well, I, well, maybe it does. I don't know. <laughs> but maybe for other people to say. But
0: well, I mean, if I'm finding it, then I would assume then that would be the case. It's yeah, it's definitely something where I feel like I find a lot of landscape photography, and especially in sort of an Instagram age, a lot of landscape mm-hmm. photography is kind of uh, is box ticking, and it's it's a sunset at this location that you've seen four hundred thousand mm-hmm. times, done the same way. Whereas to see something that's kind of not only a reflection of what England or what the United Kingdom can be in general, but it's also actually something that carries some atmosphere and some mood. Um, It's something that stood out to to me and it's obviously the reason that we've ended up having this conversation. So I do think it's something that carries through. Um, You're not always going to get everybody. I've had people before when, you know, I photograph people, it couldn't be easier to pick up expression and people have missed it. So I don't Mm. suppose that you can always control what you're... uh, what your audience thinks. I do want to ask you a question though, because you, um, you've taken some stunning shots of a place that I think is possibly the most underrated country in the world, which is Scotland. I think in terms of natural beauty, I think Scotland is completely ignored and I can't imagine Mm. why it's stunning.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, funnily enough, I'm there this time tomorrow. I'll be in Scotland. (laughs) Um, I, it is my favorite place in the world. Um, I mean, it may be an underrated country I don't know but um, not with photographers I don't think I think um, we know it's beauty and it's not just the place I mean the people I just love Scotland I love everything about it Um, and what keeps drawing me there you do feel I feel the isolation a lot more I think England is a very busy place uh, wherever you go you seem to find it's incredibly busy and uh, the spots that I really like to frequent that I've been frequenting since I was a child really have all become so busy. Um and I am and listen, I am one of those people. I'm part of the traffic, you know, uh, I'm not gonna pretend I'm out, I, you know, I am I am one of the crowd, but um I do like to be on my own. <laughs> and Scotland does offer that. Um uh but it offers that with it added bonus of it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. Um I just I love the 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 ruralness, the the feeling of um, isolation. I've said that before. It just makes me, the moods. it just matches, I think, how I feel a lot of the time. And uh, I do feel very comfortable there. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan, <laughs> I must admit.
0: I mean, you've mentioned not taking your camera out, which is still kind of blowing my mind a little bit, but it, it can certainly help. <laughs> I'm sure, with one thing, which is, um, the problem that we all suffer from, and I talked about this a couple of podcasts ago about um, the most obvious analogy would be if you've been to a, uh, any kind of musical concert or a festival or anything like that in recent <laughs> years, no one's there watching it. Everyone's there watching their phone watch it and no one's really kind of absorbing the moment. Everyone's going to look back at it later on with terrible audio and and terrible video and and just so mm-hmm. they can prove that they were there rather than enjoy it. And if you're going to these amazing locations yeah. and not taking your camera out, you're absorbing it and you're actually experiencing it, which is something that I think a lot of people do miss out on. I went to Nevada last year for a week oh, yeah. and as terrible of a of a landscape photographer as I am, I realized that after a couple of days, I don't feel like I'd seen it. Although I've been there several times, I wasn't looking at what I was doing. I was kind of mm. analyzing it for a photograph rather than just enjoying it. And that's a skill that I think photographers could do um, could do well to learn.
1: Yeah, I think um you're absolutely right. And I'm just reflecting on the most recent music gig I went to, which is obviously a year ago, because <laughs> <stuff was>, no <laughs> one's going to gigs this year. Um, and I was there and uh, I said I said Band I've seen that many, many times. Um, but I was watching it. I was standing, you know, and just watching it through other people's phones for the most of the time because I could because that's all that people were doing. And this one guy filmed the whole thing. <laughs> just watch it, man. Yeah. Um, but the like the analogy is, is true. Um, sometimes people are on a, you know, they're on a, a five day trip somewhere and they're just rushing around constantly with a camera trying to take photos, take photos. But maybe that's the only, you know, the, the only two weeks they've got off that year. So maybe they have to do that um, to, to feel like they've, they've made the most of their trip. But I certainly like to um, spend my time a bit more um, and become a bit more contemplative, um, which is, what, uh, one of my favourite photographers, uh, Ben Horn, talks a lot about um, being contemplative mm. in, in the landscape rather than uh, reactionary, which is, it can be reactionary, you know, like a, we talked about my, the picture of the, the snow trees, um, that's quite a reactionary shot because so I wasn't planning that. But um, the, the more I get into it and the more I, I understand why I do this, the, the more, uh, the less I take my camera out of the bag and the more contemplative and, and uh, more absorbing of the landscape I think I get. Um, and I think it gives me more, I mean, of course, I love sharing the images and I love, I love taking them home and looking at them and printing them out and, and what have you. Um, but just being there is, is, is always better than the image for me, always. Uh, and if it was a choice between the camera uh, and having the images or going out and being out, so it's an easy choice for me.
0: Let's talk about how you go about picking these images. So you come back... Um, obviously, on one of the cases where you are taking some, your selection process. How do you go about editing yourself? Are you someone that you go straight into, you know, Lightroom or whatever, and you're immediately going through and and picking your photos, or do you let them sit for a while? What's the process?
1: I, I'm a bit like a kid on Christmas Day. I'm I'm ripping them <laughs> up straight away. I'm just like tearing them up. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to look at them straight away, but I won't I won't be done with them straight away. You know. Like, I know for a fact, I'll always, if I'm driving home from Scotland and I've been on a nice trip and I get home and, you know, on the same night, I'm like, I'm looking at all of them. I just can't wait. But I'll try and tell myself that to, to, to wait, but I'll never listen to myself. I will just start looking at them and I will start faffing with them on Lightroom. Um, but the, the, I won't start sharing them or anything or, or, Be or you know having completed them until a few days, maybe some images I'll just let them sit for ages. Some of them I actually print out, stick on a little board I've got, and stare at them. (laughs) It's quite sad, but um, yeah, I do like to take my time. um, Once I've got over the initial glee of having new images to play with, (laughs) Um, yeah. So to answer your question, no and yes, (laughs)
0: Um, yeah. That's pretty much all answers in photography. I don't want to give the game away for people that are listening to these podcasts, but it always feels like the answer to almost every question with any type of photography is like, no, but also yes. Yeah. So with uh, portrait photography, fashion photography, um, and even to an extent, wedding photography, there's been an interesting kind of sociological turn the last few years, which is uh, to do with retouching and the, the ethics of retouching, especially when mm. it comes to like influence on young people, especially young women. Um, There's Mm. there's a bit of a drive right now to, and I'm kind of glad, but basically to calm the fucking editing down because we're basically (laughs) creating cartoons at this point. Mm. With landscape photography, it's interesting because there are some people that seem to absolutely wildly change the look of their image to a point where even me as someone who wasn't there, who's never been to that place, I know it's bullshit. I know that the sky isn't that color. Mm -hmm. I know that the grass isn't that green or whatever and at the same time there's also the side of landscape photography which i think is kind of the old school which is like you don't edit your 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 work to look any different than what it was when you saw it the point is to make it look like what you saw you know which which mm-hmm. side do you feel like is kind of closer to being correct oh correct <laughs> um, <laughs> i picked my words very carefully there
1: you did <laughs> i'm
0: going to be bold and say
1: i don't like overprocessed images i know a lot of people defend the, and i and of course it takes a lot of skill on photoshop and, and what have you to make and it, it can be done tastefully but i can still tell and it, it doesn't it doesn't do it for me um i am really subtle i try to be subtle with the edits um myself and i i don't want to say anyone's wrong for doing that because if that makes them if that you know if that's what they really enjoy and that makes them them feel good about the landscape then you know great um but it it doesn't make me feel good i don't particularly like it um personally um i've no problem with it but it's just not for me um yeah i much prefer it to try and look like it was when i was there um
0: well it's a common argument with the portrait side of things to say that there's a skill to the retouch as a defense for over retouching and I always think like it would be quite skillful to be able to kick yourself in the nuts, but that doesn't mean it's particularly a good thing.
1: <laughs> yes. Um I don't know if kicking I suppose kicking yourself in the nuts will get lots of likes as well. So there you go. <laughs> the analogy the analogy stands. Um <laughs> the, the videos they have on these days. But um yeah, I I agree. Um yeah, I agree with you. I think it's just, um, it's not for me. I, I, it's not what I experience. And what I like to share is my experience. So,
0: in terms of like the ethics of actual landscape photography, going out and uh, visiting these places, you've already talked about the traffic that builds up where people learn about mm. new spots. I was actually in um, America when there was an issue with there's an arch in Utah, like a rock arch that people have been photographing sunsets. Oh, for years. arch. Yeah and there was a a young lady who decided to I think her name was Lauren but I'm probably getting that wrong who decided to write Lauren was here like and then the date oh, and God. I think she, because it's a, it's a federal park I'm pretty sure she ended up with a fairly stiff punishment for that because mm-hmm. you know what a stupid selfish thing to do but there's mm-hmm. been all kinds of issues in America with um people just not respecting the landscape that they're in and I'm sure mm-hmm. um, everyone's aware of what's going on with Iceland at the moment where they're getting really fed up with the the sort of destruction yeah. that's being done to their natural landscape. Are you someone that's quite conscious and let's say you're out and about and you see someone being a complete dickhead and they're, you know, throwing their litter down or anything like that. Do you feel like you have a responsibility to kind of step in on that?
1: Oh, I would. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm one of those people who has, uh, I've got too much confidence for my own good. I would just tell them it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Honestly, the amount of times I've, I have no filter. Um, I have to get, Told to stop sometimes when people are just rude. I don't like rudeness. I don't like just disrespect for the landscape. I think it's disgusting. I mean, you know, I've seen a lot of these horror videos recently, especially this year. It seems to be a lot of it and the lake has been trashed. Uh, a friend of mine, a fellow photographer, um, I, I remember him sharing something on um, on his was it Instagram? Maybe uh, he was. He'd gone up a mountain in the in Scotland. They a, a difficult one to climb, and he got there. And there was cans at the top of it and bottles. And I just think, this, is there nowhere safe from these people? Um, but yeah, I, I'm not having it. And if I if I see someone doing something, I'll like be. Yeah, I'll be on I'm not having it. It's not on. It's it's a shame. Um, And I do like to give something back. I mean, last year when I drove to Scotland on my, I like to do an autumn trip. Um, I did this this time last year. I was there. Um, I try my best because obviously driving there with a petrol car, it's not the best thing in the world, is it? You know, it's pretty selfish. So I I did buy you know ten or so trees for the um, Caledonian, uh, one of the Caledonian forest replants. Actually. um, you know, to try and offset some of that. And I, I really think carefully about what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't share my locations anymore when I, you know, I'll put England or I'll put Scotland, as you know, yeah, on my yeah, yeah. Um, images um, rather than, uh, some people tag the exact location they are. And I just think, oh, it's just perpetuating it. And and there are a lot of photographers who have a lot of following, you know, who do still do that. Um, so this is, look, this is where I am. I am in, you know, a certain place. Uh, and then you're guaranteed, you know, weeks later that you've got loads of people there it just, and the, those people are, uh, you know, not intentionally sometimes not intentionally damaging the place, but the footfall can just be enough. And in these delicate places that aren't popular locations, you know, uh, and I'm not trying to be say, you know, keep the landscape to yourself. It's just, you know, let other people discover it naturally and you won't have these problems.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm like I say, I'm I'm nothing of a landscape photographer. We took our niece for a walk in the New Forest, and my my personal button is animals. If people are inconsiderate or or horrible to animals, that's like I just I can't see anything but red. And obviously, they've got a lot of horses roaming around, wild horses and whatnot. And there's this one family with the mum and her phone out, and they're they're in, getting closer and closer. She's trying to push her like primary school age kids closer and closer to this baby horse incredibly upsetting the mother and upsetting the other horses that are around and it just got to the point where i was thinking a i I severely hope that that horse kicks you in the head but b (laughs) it's like like how tone deaf do you have to be to the world that you're in to not realize what level of prick you are being right now
1: hmm yeah and it's education isn't it really it all comes down to it stewardship and i think um as the generations go by maybe it's just i'm getting older and you you become you could become more aware of things as you get older but maybe it's always been like this but it does feel like the stewardship we have for the natural world is 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 disappearing and that's not just in this country it feels like everywhere it's going um people just either don't care or aren't haven't been told properly or educated to care, um, and they have no connection. And if you don't love or care for the landscape or the natural world or the horses, you know, the the wild horses you see in the new forest, then you're not going to be worried about any... You're not going to feel any guilt or any shame. And as soon as that's gone, then, well, that's worrying, isn't it? That's like almost like a... uh, the sociopath of the natural world, you know, they, they yeah, don't yeah, feel 100%. any remorse. Do you know what I mean? And and the stewardship is going, and I don't know what the answer is because it feels like a tide that can't be held
0: back. There's one thing that's going on that definitely is more damaging than uh, one thing. I'm fascinated with is unintended consequences. Is when you know you do something for the right reasons, but it damages something else in another way, and how you mitigate those issues. And I genuinely think that this constant doomsday clock mentality that we have towards the environment, which is t- to me a little farcical because the idea that a planet has has done what it's done up till now, but will just suddenly evaporate in the next 12 years is completely stupid. What's actually incredibly likely is that it just becomes something that we can no longer inhabit. The planet will keep going, but we won't. But regardless of that, this idea that there is this incredibly imminent death of a planet coming has just led people to say, well, oh, fuck it. I'll just do whatever I want and it doesn't make a difference because no one else cares anyway. And that almost feeds into people being worse towards the environment because if there's someone that isn't, you know, two feet in on it, they just think, well, there's no point in trying.
1: Yeah, I understand your argument. Um, I've never thought of it like that before, really. I suppose, like, the the whole, it's broken anyway. It's like, if you buy an old car that's, you know, for 200 quid, you're not going to give a toss if you crash it into a wall, are you? Uh, Is that the mentality you're describing?
0: Yeah, 100%.
1: Yeah, I mean it's you know, climate change is happening and it is a problem and it is destroying habitats. And it's not just the heating of the planet that is the issue. It's 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 the waste as well and and the and the pollutants, um, which are a serious threat to biodiversity. And as soon as biodiversity is reduced, then you've got serious problems in the ecosystems, which yes, it does affect humans massively. And I know your point was, you know, it will affect us big yeah you know the populations are dependent on on various biodiverse areas in the world but um it's unlikely it will wipe out all life on earth um with climate change this is what i'm saying
0: though is that the idea of of advertising to people like not to go down a whole like uh environmental political avenue with this because i don't think i don't think that i'm definitely not the person that's in a position to solve anything but I think when you're advertising to the, the average person, the common person, especially from what I know of people in England and from what I've known of people in Canada and, and United States, the general population, if you're telling them that there is this kind of, you know, obscure animal that they have no interaction with that is being affected by it, they don't see the consequence in their day-to-day life. Mm. So as soon as you remove that from their eye line, they carry on as as is. Whereas if you actually speak relatively sensibly about the the long-term consequences of like okay well you know we don't want to end up with not being able to live here anymore we don't want to end up with with our own habitats being damaged by the environment because of our own our own stupidity and short-term vision and you don't want to end up where food foods that you enjoy I I know this sounds ridiculous that when you're talking about essentially a planet going through an, an unbelievable existential change that you would be talking about like someone losing out on their favorite meat. But I genuinely think that's closer to getting an an actual useful response out of the average person than saying, well, over in Indonesia, there's this kind of bat. And if that, I just think we lose people in that sense. Yeah, That's why I think people are detached. They've got that 200 pound car and they're doing handbrake turns around a car park in in two in the morning because they don't care anymore.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's like, it's an empathy gap, isn't it? I think that's what you're describing. And um, you see that I mean, you be distant from something, it's 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 difficult to to care for a lot of people, um, and I suppose it comes down to one's own emotional intelligence. But I mean, you see, the internet is the ultimate empathy gap. You know, the way people speak to each other on on there is you don't see that in everyday life, really, and it's got the gap. The yeah, you know, and I'm sorry to go on about things that have so, nothing to do with what <laughs> landscape photography, but even like the use of military drones you know it's very easy to press a button to you know when you're flying over with a remote controlled aircraft to drop you know some warhead on somewhere when you're not the one who's actually in the plane you know and it it all comes down it's it's, you know I, I think You're right when you say, you know, the average Joe isn't going to care about like the bat in Indonesia um, and only when it starts to hit home. And I think um, it's a shame. um, But I think if people were exposed more to nature and spent, grew up, you know, as children more uh, with it um, and spent more time in it, then they would find the emotional intelligence to connect with that bat because they'll see that bat in Indonesia in the same way that they might see their own pets or their own you know the yeah. the the owls just in the woods down the road you know
0: well i just look at the way that we we interact with children when when we so you take it, i don't have kids myself and based on the way they seem to act i have no interest but when you um <laughs> When you see parents like we've we've obviously been around our niece and there's other parents that have got their kids and I've been around you mm. know kids at weddings and whatnot, the kids doing something wrong that is negatively affecting its environment. People are less happy because of the behaviour of that that child. The instant way to uh, discipline that child is to threaten them with taking something away and mm. not to say. Hey, you're 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 ruining this for everybody and nobody's going to like you if you keep being a bad person. And I know that sounds like a horrendous thing to say to a child, but I think the reason we've got to a point where people have this huge empathy gap is because we're constantly removing things as a punishment. So the thing is then a reward. The thing is the thing that, mm. only, you know, the, the, the PlayStation or the TV or the iPad or whatever is the only thing that they have any kind of emotional reaction to. They don't care what they're doing to, to people around them. Whereas when I was brought up, I, you know, if I was, if I was being a little shit, which was, uh, you know, not uncommon, it would be brought up with me that what effect I was having on my environment. And now I'm mm. a lot more conscious of the way that I interact with people. doesn't mean I'm always good about it, but it means I know what I'm doing. And I just think that's what we're missing a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think. um, I mean, what you described there is is reactionary discipline, where you know someone is is there is a sanction based on how they behave. But the best way, obviously, to 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 change human behaviour and and to you know to bring care to the 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 natural world and the landscape is is to have positive reinforcement. I think from a younger age, you know that this is you know well well you know really brilliant, well done for. uh, you know, for, uh, I don't know, not not squashing that spider. You know, well done for
0: just putting it to the side, you know. Yeah, not littering, not not going somewhere that you shouldn't go, not crossing borders that, you know, where this places have been fenced off to preserve the area and you just go crossing it because you want to go over there. Well done for not doing that.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I think when they're younger, that that positive reinforcement is is you know you learn what's right and wrong from that. Obviously, when when they're older, the mindset is a little, little less malleable, um, and the only thing that works for when when people are older and still are breaking the rules is, is like you say, the reactionary type of sanctioning. But um, yeah, it, it does. I think it does come from 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 an early age. Um, and I think once you get to a certain age if you don't care about the landscape there's not much it's very unlikely that that's going to change very quickly um, I think um, I know obviously it was a couple of years ago and when, when, uh, David Attenborough's um, TV series the, the Blue Planet 2 and there was this episode the final one that was mainly focused on ocean plastics and and the episode ended with him literally just pleading to the camera, you know, we have to do something. And I mean, I was in tears watching that. It was really horrible. Um, and I think that did a lot, you know, um, because he was asking nicely and people were listening because you could see he cared. Uh, I don't think shouting at people works so much maybe. And I've already said I'd do that today, I've realised. <laughs> well,
0: that's reactionary. That's slightly different.
1: It's, yeah, it is difficult.
0: Well, what I need to do as the, as the person that's hosting this podcast is I probably need to steer this back towards photography as it is in the name. <laughs> you mentioned earlier about the way that people interact on the Internet. And that's obviously something that uh, photography breaches on quite a lot when you get people react to the work that you're putting out or they react to the way that their work is critiqued or criticized mm. or liked or commented on or anything like that. Um, what do you hmm. do about looking for feedback on images? If you're not 100 percent sure on something that you've taken, are you someone that posts it and sees what the general feedback is? Do you have people that you go to? What's your what's your method?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, I do actually have a few people that I will share something with prior to posting it. not always. Sometimes I'm pretty just like, yeah, that, I like that. That's going. That's gonna. I'm gonna share that. You know, I really like that. I'll show other people that image. But um, yeah, there are one or two of the. Photographers that I will maybe share something with. There's a guy called Andrea Frapparotti who's a really, really fantastic photographer. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pop him as uh, an image and I'll say, "Listen, I really like this, but I just feel like it's not, you know, something's." And we'll talk about it, and maybe it'll open my eyes, you know, to something. Um, I would. I mean, it's it's really frowned upon, isn't it? Uh, for some reason, uh, his critique of images. Um, online, especially on Instagram, if someone says, you know, oh, I don't particularly like the way you did that. I mean, I wouldn't react badly to it, but I, I have seen someone critique one of my images in the past and a few of people who follow my work were just like hounding them. I was a bit like, what's going on here? <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it seems like was not they weren't insulting me. They were just saying, you know, I don't particularly, you know, I don't really, I think you could have done that bit better. Da, da, da. And I don't mind hearing that, you know, it's not... I'm not, I'm not perfect. I mean, I don't know what is, what is perfect, but I'd kind of like to hear more of it.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's something that people, uh, see, I'm personally not a fan of, of unsolicited critique in the sense of, I feel like critiquing someone you are in, in at least a small way, asserting yourself as an authority on something. Yeah. and It's kind to me, it's kind of, so I used to be a chef and it kind of reminds me of food critics, which if mm. you're a chef um, or if you ever had any aspiration to be a chef, and you imagine a food critic, you usually get quite angry instantly because there's someone that has no idea how to do what you do, but they're constantly telling you mm-hmm. what you're doing wrong with it. Yeah, um, sure. And, and, and to that extent, I think that's kind of built into me. Um, but the, the bigger problem is that people have had it kind of very easy for a long time in that we're getting more and more protected from negative opinions. And, you know, my, my personal issue is the, uh, the generations that have come through with the idea of, of haters, and this idea that anyone that has anything negative to say, it must be born of jealousy. It must be born of, of sort of self insecurity when actually, you know, the picture's fucking wonky or whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, if your picture's wonky, then you probably do need some critique, don't you? <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, I know what you mean. That It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you, I think you can tell when someone is being really snide about your images and someone is generally offering support. Um, I think maybe what people take offence with is, because it's there, you know, it's like it's your gallery. Um, You don't particularly want negative reviews stuck on the side of your gallery. You know, you want it to be looking like a paradigm of your work. Um, Maybe that's what people uh, take problem with. But um, it depends on the person as well. I mean, if you know them and you're already you know, I mean, there is, there is a photographer that who will like, he'll take a screenshot one of the images and say, what's this, what's this, what's going on here? (laughs) And I'll say, oh, well, you know, I like it. (laughs) Tough. (laughs) Um, But, but but I, but we've kind of got that relationship where that's fine, you know, Um, but we do it in the, in the messages, you know. Um, But yeah, it's a difficult one. And I would say about the hater thing, there does seem to be like dogpiling. I think is the word, isn't it? When like, Someone says something, and everyone like piles on them. And uh, you see it hmm. with very popular photographers; they have a lot of um, defenders, um, uh, so they seem to be immune from criticism. But um, yeah, I mean, do we have a right to criticize someone's work? It's art, you know. It's it's not it's not a, a blueprints for a skyscraper, which <laughs> you know needs critique. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think the depends. most the most important thing is that whoever's giving out a, a critique of anything is to just think what you want to come of that critique. Is it that yeah. you care about that person, you care about their work, and mm. you want it to, to take a better part, and you think you've seen something they might not notice, or you know, you have some idea of the vision that they've got in mind, but but quite often mm. I think that the the concern is that you get people who just kind of wander in and they see it as an opportunity to kind of take a swing. Yeah. And that's I think the dogpiling is where people see it that way. There is definitely an issue with popular especially with Instagram, with popular people mm. being kind of immune to any negativity. And 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 in a lot of cases, actually encouraging that. And it's it's almost a, like we won't tolerate your intolerance kind of yeah. oxymoron situation. <laughs> I do want to ask you about a couple of things, if you don't mind, because uh, going mm. through your About Me and, and this is how we learn about people now. We read about their own words about themselves. So that's why the podcast exists. Um, obviously, to start off with, you mentioned in your About Me, about your granddad. And I just thought it was mm. it was really interesting. I'd love to hear a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, he was. Um, I mean, he, I went, mean, how old am I? He was. Um, I think mean, he died when I was twenty-one. Um, but my granddad, my mum's my dad, uh, Edwin or Ted, he um, yeah, he was massive influence. I'm very like him. I think um, my family I always say that I'm very like him. He was a peak district ranger for a, for quite a while in his life, you know. So he's very outdoorsy. He was always out with his dog. Uh, and I don't, I don't just mean like taking the dog for a walk around the neighborhood. He was out, you know, he was out, um, you know, a hundred miles away before I even had woken up most mornings, you know? Um, right. and I do get a lot of that from him. Um, definitely very restless. Um, I mean, he spent a lot of time away, um, when he was younger in, in the second world war, he spent, a, it was in, in Burma, um, or Myanmar, whatever we call it these days. Um, and he was, he was over there for a very long time. Um, And came back and he was all, I think, you know, he's always quite restless um, and very interested in everything and especially very interested in nature. And I think I've got a lot of that from him. Um, And the phrase phrase he always used to use, which was he loved being out before the world was polluted by people, um, which is something that's (laughs) always stuck with me. (laughs) Because um, when I'm driving home after being out in the morning and people are still getting up it's it's a nice feeling you know it feels like yeah. you've been you you've been uh, you got vip tickets to nature you know you you've had the uh, access all areas before everyone else has uh, even got there it's it's nice and i do yeah i do take a lot of influence from him
0: i mean i do i do see peak district ranger as being like a really cool english version of a power ranger <laughs> yeah. where it's just like muted colors and drizzle it's it's lovely <laughs> uh, yeah. another thing that you mentioned in there uh, and i'm quite surprised maybe maybe i'm going to spoil something or maybe I'm completely on the wrong course here, but you're interested in diving. Oh, uh, yeah. And I'm just curious if there's anyone to incorporate photography in with your diving.
1: Well, I haven't been diving for about two or three years, to be honest. Uh, I don't know why it's on there. just because it makes me look cool. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I have, uh, i did a lot of diving. I've done, um, you know, since I was 18, I started. Um, I was lucky enough to go on a biology field trip to Malaysia when I was 18 with my when I was doing my A-levels. Um, And I sort of, we learned there and it's gone from there really. Um, Yeah. I've never, I have, I've taken a GoPro and filmed a bit, but I've never really um, taken any, um, you know, serious intent of photography underwater, which is something I've thought about. um, But I, I don't, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fair weather diver. I don't like diving in the UK. <laughs> it doesn't interest me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just I, I'll openly admit that I, if I if I have to wear anything longer than my knees while I'm diving, then I'm not interested. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, maybe one day I'll I'll, uh, I'll go away and, and I'll. I'll, I'll have a go at um, shooting some, some scenes underwater. So that sounds really exciting, but um, I wouldn't know where to start. Um, I don't think my camera would have housing. Um, <laughs> so I'd have to think of a way of doing it, uh, but it does really interest me. Um, but it's since the photography started, um, the diving hobbies kind of just disappeared, really, because this is kind of what I like to spend my time doing now. And uh, I used to go diving a lot with a, a buddy. Uh, you kind of have, you know, you tend to dive in pairs. And my friend Marcus, who he now lives down, well, down your, you know, the south, um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> below Birmingham. So we don't see. His,
1: yeah, yeah, below, yeah. Anywhere below Sheffield is the south.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Do you know what's so funny about that? Is I always say that anywhere north of Watford is Scotland. So. Yeah, I'm with you. well,
1: I say that about York, um, <laughs> and and anywhere south of London is France. <laughs> so,
0: yep, hundred percent. Yeah,
1: but um, so that's kind of just faded away. Um, but again, it's just another example of of a hobby that takes me out and about, you know, and uh, I do love it, um, and I'd love to do it again soon.
0: On hobbies here, um, cinema, movies. Um, I'm someone that's massively influenced by, by movies. I'm a huge cinema Mm. fan. I go when we're allowed to, I go maybe four or five times a week to the cinema. We have a ridiculous Blu-ray collection. We're the only people left in the world that apparently buy (laughs) Blu-rays. What is, is there like an overlap between your interest in, in movies and then photography? Do you ever take influence from it? Uh,
1: Do you know what? Until you said that I've not considered it, but now when I think of my favorite, my two favorite films, you're going to laugh. I, well, my favourite film is, I don't know if you know, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, which is a Wes yeah, Anderson yeah, yeah. film. That's my favourite film. It's flawed, but I love it. Um, which is a film that predominantly features diving. And my yes. other favourite film is The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, because I, my mum used to read it to me as a kid, so it's been part of my life all the time. And that particular film, I really love it which is very landscape-heavy cinematography. So when I when I reflect on my two favourite movies, um, there you
0: go. So maybe yes. I think the answer is yes. My favourite movie of all time is The Revenant. Oh, The Revenant's fantastic. Oh, I was going to recommend it if you hadn't seen it then, because I think it's a, a landscape photographer's wet dream.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, it does give me anxieties of bears, but um, it, is a, <laughs> it is a wonderful film, yeah. I really like that film. Um, yeah, I. you know what, um, since I've been into photography, I do really, really appreciate cinematography more than I used to. Um, I remember there's a few films I've seen recently, like um, the, the most recent Blade Runner 2049, the cinematography and that was absolutely just out of this world. Um, and things like Mad Max, the latest Mad Max film, was really stunning cinematography. Um, and I've really started to enjoy that, um, actually, when I'm at the cinema. Um, I mean I'm not just into films that are set outdoors. <laughs> but um yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right um with that. And uh, I'm really excited about um the new Dune film uh, coming out, which will because it's Danny Villeneuve, will have some wonderful cinematography. So um
0: yeah. I was literally just about to say to you, Danny Villeneuve is is oh you just want to go down a rabbit hole of his films because um what he did with Arrival and especially when you see how Yeah he used the special effects. It just, I mean, I think that's a a massively underrated movie as it is. And I think he's a, he's soon to be probably top three directors in the world. But I mean, Blade Runner is not only Villeneuve, but it's also Deacon. So it's like an absolute wet dream of a film in terms of, um, in terms of visuals.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, Villeneuve plus Deacon's, I mean, (laughs) what, what is better? You can't go wrong. Um, Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of his. Um, I must admit, um, really, really. I, I mean, Blade Runner. I've always loved Blade Runner. It's my dad's favourite film, so there's, it's kind of always been part of my life. And then when the new one came out, yeah, just wonderful, wonderful.
0: Last thing, we need to need to let you get back to the real world and not have to listen to my appalling southern accent. But yeah, you're you're <laughs> someone who you're someone who I believe has a, a belief in in printing of images and having like tangible mm. prints as opposed to just um, stuff that's on a computer, stuff that you can double tap on. Why printing? Why do you like printing?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I just like physical things. <laughs> it's nice to share your images because, you know, I do really like the feedback and it is, it is, nice when people like your stuff, you know, it's lovely. Um, but that's not, it's not why I love photography. It's, I mean, I love being out and about and, and I love when I'm at home, I, lo- I like to have that, Available without having to get my phone out of my pocket, and you know, I'll do hang a few of my prints. I do buy a lot of other photographers' prints. I'm a little bit of a collector, so I just love, I love the process, the craft. You know, it's really tactile, and and the you know, nice paper with a nice bit of texture, and um, and the, the you know, how slow the printer is, and and just the process of having to soft proof your image. So it, you know, it's just that whole thought process. It's just, I think it's quite a meditative thing, you know. It's almost like a Zen tea party, uh, where you you're just going through the motions in a really nice um, and and calm, where you're not in a rush because it's not, you know, you're not trying to capture light in the landscape. It's already done. And So now you're just really enjoying working with your image and really enjoying bringing it to life one more time. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really lovely to, to have have the print, and uh, you know, I've got one or two of my own up, and just seeing them uh printed large it's just it's just lovely uh uh, yeah it's really nice and it it is the process i think that i enjoy um more than the end product actually
0: something as well photographers should have up in their house is they should have prints up even if it's not of their own work if and i probably Mm. especially if it's not prints of their own work they should they should be keen to have physical prints of other people's work to inspire them and Mm. and we're going to get to the plugging you part now but if i can make a suggestion to people that are listening if you're going to have a look at getting a print from James my personal recommendation would be I really like frozen symmetry but I feel like the ones that are going to go down a tree is either pastel tempest or breathe I think those are two prints that are just designed to go on a photographer's wall so let's plug oh, nice. you Thanks. let's get people going over to well it's I I don't have people on this podcast I have turned people down in the past if I don't like their work so um, I reach oh, out thanks. to people whose work I really I love. I that. want people to find your work. That's the whole purpose of doing this. So let's get people to your website and let's pressure them into buying some prints as well. So how can people find you?
1: Um, they can find me on Instagram, which is James Lane Photography, um, and conveniently my website is jameslanephotography.com. Uh, I don't particularly use Facebook or Twitter very much, so don't bother trying to kind of contact me on those. But um, Instagram or, or my website, yeah.
0: Yep. So everyone should be immediately right now going over to follow you so they can keep up to date. And Like I said before, <laughs> my personal preference would be Frozen Symmetry, but I'm, I'm going to say Pastel Tempest or Breathe are probably going to be the two that most people go for. I actually also like Ocean Paint. It's got a wonderful uh, abstractness to it. I mean, you know what it is, but it, it looks like it could sit on a wall as a huge print and kind of you could get lost in it
1: i do like that one um it's funny you say frozen symmetry and pastel uh, what do you say frozen symmetry and breathe they're the two ones i've actually got up in my house so there you go <laughs> good choice great minds
0: <laughs> yeah well thank you so much for taking the time to do this it's been an absolute treat to talk to you
1: thank you my pleasure thank you very much for inviting me it's uh, it's an honor